We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. What a joy it is to see you guys tonight. We're here because of Jesus, huh? Isn't he so good to us? He's so gracious to us. He's given us all different parts of the body, none more important than the other. But together we serve him. And uh, today, if you have a Bible, let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And I'm going to begin with a a little bit of history uh, in my life. And forgive me for this, but please understand that it's it's to make a point. And uh, I remember fresh out of high school, uh, the first time I saw Shelly. And uh, I don't know if I've told you guys before, I've told you before, but the first time I saw her, I told my friend I'm going to marry her. That's weird, huh? <laughs> and so anyways, I didn't tell her that. But I did go up to her, and she came up to me, I think one or the other, and uh, I offered her a soda, and, uh, you know, you want a drink? And she actually said yes. Can you believe that? So she must have liked me. That's the way I figured Or she was really thirsty. <laughs> and anyways, uh, we went out for a while. But to be honest with you, I was weird. I was weird. Um, and um, we didn't, it didn't last. It didn't really last. Uh, eventually, uh, I don't know, we just kind of lost touch. And, and then a year later, uh, I saw her again. And I don't know exactly how or why, but for whatever reason, you know, she gave me a second chance. And, um, and we've been married now for how, how long has it been? Well, since 1992. <laughs> You know, and, and God, we dated six years. God has had his hand upon our life. And, and so here's the thing, and this is all I want to say, is we serve the God of the second chance. And I thank God that Shelly gave me a second chance. I thank God that I get to spend my life with her, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this, but I thank God more for the fact that he has given me a second chance. And then... I, I seem to, I, I think you guys know that, we serve the God of the, the slim chance, we, we serve the God of the fat chance, we serve the God of the no chance. I mean, God, how many times uh, does he pour out his grace upon our life? Now, we don't abuse that, we don't take advantage of it, but man, I'm so grateful. You know, and I pray that, that as God has showered his grace upon us and he's given us another opportunity, that like David, we would now do our best to do things right. And that's what happens. And here in First Chronicles chapter 15, David is going to move the ark. Now, if you remember the first time, he did it so wrong. The first time, he didn't ask the Lord, he asked the leaders. The first time, he didn't do it biblical. Even though he did it enthusiastically and he did it sincerely, he didn't do it biblically. And they put the ark on a cart, just like the Philistines did, and what ended up happening was uh, Uzzah died because the oxen stumbled. And so uh, the ark ended up hanging out at Obed-Edom's house. And God blessed that house because of the presence of God. The ark was symbolic of the presence of God. 
And so I don't know about you, but, but if that was, you know, a lot of people probably would have never tried again. You know, I don't know if I want to chance that. I don't know, someone might die, you know, and, and, and a lot of people probably wouldn't have given certain individuals another chance anyways. But God gave David another chance, and this time we're going to see David did it right. And it's such a, an awesome thing. And what he ends up doing is he ends up, you know, communicating a message to us uh, about how God is the God of the second chance, and and that and then and that and that we have an awesome God that we should worship with all of our might. You know, if you're here and you're holding back in any way. You know, and of course we know worship is partially singing, and, and I do pray that eventually we would come to that place as a church where we are just full on, unashamedly a, a worshiping church. You know, we're singing out to God, even if you don't have the greatest voice in the world, it, it doesn't matter. But but that's not all that worship is. Worship, worship is our life. And like I was telling a guy today that I was talking to, and he's going through some struggles, I said, listen, man. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's not your life. And it doesn't matter how you feel. You might feel one way. The Bible tells you to go a different way. you got to go the way that God tells you to do, and you must never forget that it's not your life. Because once you can kind of settle that, that it's not my life, then I think what ends up happening is you just do what God calls you to do. And that that's God said it, and that settles it. And so... Look what we read here. In 1 Chronicles 15, it says, David built houses for himself in the city of David. That would be Jerusalem. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And so David built you know, the palace, uh, other structures there in Jerusalem. And then he has to lay out some area for, um, it says right here, the ark, and he mentions a tent. Think about that for a second. And we know, of course, when we read the Bible, that this is in reference to uh, the, t- the, the tabernacle, right, where the ark of God would be kept. He prepared a place for the ark of God. He puts a, a tent for it. And this tabernacle, you got to go back to the book of Exodus, uh, was... Uh, uh, an entire courtyard is not that big, really. It's probably about the equivalent of this sanctuary right here, the square footage of this sanctuary, 150 feet by 75 feet, not a whole lot bigger. And, and, and so that was the courtyard, and then you would have the tent itself, and that tent was 45 feet by 15 feet, and uh, it was this you know, tent made of acacia wood, boards overlaid with gold and fitted together from the walls, and, and if you if you if you remember when we studied chapter 13 of First Chronicles, uh, they had failed to bring the ark to Jerusalem, and it ended with a tragedy. Again, Uzzah ended up dying. And the message then it really spoke to my heart was it is possible to do the right thing the wrong way, and that's why we have to make sure that we do things biblically. They did it completely unbiblical. And, and so Uzzah died. But here's the thing. David, thankfully, learned his lesson. You know, and so look what happens in verse 2. It says, Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister him 
before him forever. You know, and this is a quick side note. There's a little lesson there. I mean, everybody has their place in the body of Christ. David was the king. The Levites uh, were the servants to the high priest. And the sons of Kohath had a specific job which was to carry the ark on their shoulders. And so don't get caught up in, in where you serve. I do pray you get caught up in that you have the privilege of serving God in any capacity. But God puts people where he wants them. He chooses whom he uses. He appoints, he anoints. God is the one who's in control. And so the Levites were the ones that God had chosen to carry the ark of God. David couldn't do it. I mean, you know, Aaron couldn't do it. The Levites were the only ones that, that could do that. And so, you know, you read the scriptures and we have many references. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. We have the biblical instructions on how to transport the ark. Again, when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which, the, again, the sons of Kohath are to carry. And so if you look over at verse 13 of this chapter, if you would, just for a second, it says, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. You see, the key to the tragedy when Uzzah died, when they didn't do things right, was that they didn't search out the scriptures to make sure that what they were doing was done scripturally. And again, like I said earlier, you know, even though it's done sincerely, and even though it's done enthusiastically, and even though it might be done zealously, the, the main question, is it really biblically, not mystically, is it objectively scripturally, not upside down and inside out, just in your face, is it Bible? That's the way we study the Bible. And so, you know, that's the question. And if not, man, don't, don't go near with a 10-foot pole. Uh, unfortunately, the first time they didn't, they didn't do it right. We read back then in that chapter that David met with the leaders, but he didn't really meet with the Lord, and so Uzzah died. And that's why Warren Wiersbe said the time to find out how to do his work is before the job begins, not after the funeral. And so I want to encourage you guys, and, and I'm just going to say this forever and ever and ever, just keep reading your Bibles, please. You know, don't take my word for it, please. Don't take his word for it. You know, if you were just to read the Bible at face value, just the Bible, you know, what would it tell you? See, those are the ways that we have to live our life. And if you, it, it's impossible to enslave a, a people who know the Bible. Because the Bible is the final authority in our life. David didn't search out the scriptures. They didn't consult the Lord. They did it on the cart. They thought it could be casual, and, and it just couldn't, right? But here's the thing. Thankfully, David learned. You know, one of the most important things in life is, are we teachable? Are we teachable? I mean, that's why it's so good to raise up people from within the church, you know, because then they're taught the Word of God. 
And David was teachable, and, and even myself as a, as a pastor and as a leader, you know, you can be tempted to be set in your ways just because you've always done it that way or or you because you, know, you think you're the leader. But man, we have to be open. I have to be open to being able to learn from anyone who would give me God's word. David learned and he changed his way of transporting the ark. And it's cool, you know, when you learn the word and then things actually change in your life. You know, I've told you guys a million times, some people learn the easy way just by reading the Bible, right? Some people learn the hard way from their mistakes, right, by messing up. Um, that's how David learned. But then there are those who never learn. And I've seen them. I've seen them and they're on the shelf. I've seen it. We had to be teachable. And so, you know, thank God David learned. And, uh, and so we read, it, it goes forward in verse 3. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place which he had prepared for it. And then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief, and 120 of his brethren of the sons of Merari, Asaiah the chief, and 220 of his brethren, of the sons of Gershom, and Joel the chief, and 130 of his brethren, of the sons of Elisaphan, Shemaiah the chief, and 200 of his brethren. There's a lot of people here, huh? Uh, of the sons of Hebron, Eliel, the chief, and 80 of his brethren. Of the sons of Uziel, uh, Aminadab, the chief, and 112 of his brethren. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. And so, man, he, all these guys, right, that he calls the priests and the Levites. I mean, one thing I, I know for sure, and sometimes it works out this way. Every once in a while you might run into a person they have a great marriage, and you're like, wow, they have such a great marriage. And you don't realize it's their second time around. Because they learned the hard way. But then they learned. They learned. David learned in a super duper extra special way that this was to be done right. And it hit home. And so now, you know, he's got the priests uh, galore, Right? I mean, he gets all the priests involved, holy priests, high priests, heads of priests. He gets all of them, and especially the ones that the Bible called the sons of Kohath because they were the ones to carry the ark. And he, and he tells them to sanctify themselves there in verse 12 so that they might be used by God to transport this holy, holy, holy ark back to the tabernacle of meeting. And, you know, if I could just kind of like, just, you know, give you a, a, a quick, you know, thought. The ark of God is symbolic of the presence of God. Now, we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. 
But there's what's called the special manifest presence of God, and Jesus talked about it in Matthew 18, and we see it in different times in the Old Testament. We see it even uh, in the New Testament. The special manifest presence of God, it, it comes when the people of God are gathered together for his glory and in his name. And that's kind of what the ark symbolizes. You know, for all of us here, uh, leaders, it doesn't matter if you're an overseer or you're an under rower. Let me ask you a question. Don't you just want people to experience the presence and the personal God, the living God? I mean, you know, you meet with this guy over here and, and he's having problems in his marriage or whatever, this one over here, and they're having problems with drugs, or this one over here, and they're having problems with pride. I can't fix them. There's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. He will heal them. And so we point people to Christ. I don't point people to other men. I point people to Christ. We carry the Ark of the Covenant, so to speak, so that we can give people the opportunity to experience a personal God, a powerful God, a God that I see changing lives. I see it with my own eyes. I hear people testify every single Sunday. I'm blessed to be able to talk to people. And if you only knew the background of these people, you would never know by looking at them but God changes lives. That's what the Ark of the Covenant is. It's the, it's the presence of God, not man. And so, you know, I want to be used by God for that. Well, you know, it can't just be done casually or zealously or enthusiastically or just sincerely. It's got to be done biblically and it must be done to a, of a people who were not worthy, will never be worthy. But we we got to be holy. We got to we got to we got to we shoot for perfection. Jesus said, "You got to try to be perfect, but we'll never be perfect." But you better never you better never stop trying to be perfect. You got to bring every thought into captivity. Don't dwell on on the garbage that the enemy tries to throw into your mind, or you know, watch every word you say and the way that you say it, and all the decisions that you make, and just everything that you are. You try to be holy. And just in case you're wondering, legalism is not holiness. A lot of people think you know you get a whole bunch of rules and regulations that you're more holy. No, the Bible says you're weaker. Legalism is not holiness, neither is hedonism. That one we know. Well, you can't do sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That one we know, but holiness is being like Jesus. That's what I want, and that's what I long for. I want to be like Jesus so much. I love the just the beautiful... God, I want to say person, but just a beautiful person that he is. I want to be used by God. And so he says, well, right here, you've got to sanctify yourselves. There in verse 12, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, 
you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. You know, one of the things I've learned in ministry is that, you know, if we want to be used by God, we will never, ever, ever be worthy. So, you know, you kind of got to get over that. And if you think you're worthy, then, you know, you're in big trouble, you know. So kind of get over that, you know. You'll never be worthy. Don't let that stop you, though. You know, you you got to be holy, however. At the same time, ministry should never be taken lightly. We should endeavor to serve as sanctified servants. Sanctification speaks of holiness, being set apart for a specific service, being set apart for God himself. It's a holy calling, according to 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. You know, when God called Moses to ministry, we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, that he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Sandals were symbolic of what man can do, the work of man. This is not the work of man. It's the work of God. When God called Joshua to ministry, Jesus spoke those words to him in Joshua 5, 14 through 15, as the commander of the army of the Lord of hosts, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did. So we're not worthy, but it's not done casually. You know, and I I see it in you guys, and I thank God for that. You're trying to get your life right. If you're not trying to get your life right, then something's wrong. But we're trying, huh? We're seeking the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I see the fruit of that. I'm beginning to see more and more the fruit of that. Super blessed by that. But we've got to take the, the sandals off our feet. You know, David tells these priests to sanctify themselves to God in order that they might bring up the ark for such a holy God. You know, I remember when I first started getting involved in ministry, I have, a, I have a, a few different Bibles. I have one Bible in my garage, one Bible in the house, one Bible that's super-duper giant print that I teach from. <laughs> Anyways, the one in the garage is my first Bible. Because I started getting involved in ministry right away and uh, just had that in my heart. And in my, in, if you open up my Bible, the very first page... The very first quote right there is by C.H. Spurgeon. And this is what it says. It says, Whatever call a man may pretend to have, if he has not been called to holiness, he certainly has not been called to the ministry. Call to the ministry is a call to holiness. But remember, a call to holiness is to be like Jesus. And so, that's what he tells them, sanctify yourselves so that you can carry the ark. So David tells them to sanctify themselves, the command we find five times in the Bible. And, and you know, the New Testament equivalent is over in 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. You guys remember that passage? It says that in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, from the latter, then he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. It's like this house, and you've got some vessels for honor, some for dishonor. 
you want to be a vessel for honor, right? And so what do you need to do? You need to sanctify yourself. That's what it says. It says to cleanse yourself from the latter so you can be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart, and then useful for the master. I can use that guy right there because, you know what? In his heart, he doesn't want to take the glory. I can use that guy over there because in his heart, he really wants what's best for the people. I can use that guy over there because I can trust him with people because if I get people in front of him, he's going to love them and he's going to treat them like Jesus would treat them. And so you, you, you sanctify yourself, you cleanse yourself. Now that's kind of a hard thing to think about too because a lot of times people are like, well, you know what, it's, it's the Lord, right? The Lord who does the work and it's true. But by the grace of God, I pray that I would have God's heart and do my part as you read in Second Timothy to cleanse myself. See, it's God's sovereignty combined with our responsibility to react and, and to just to be. It's a lot of times we like to pass the buck and put the blame on other people for the fact that I'm not the godly man or woman that I want to be. And you can blame it on a whole bunch of people if you want to, but you won't go far. You just have to look deep in the mirror and you have to look in your heart and realize you... You are responsible for your walk with God. You have his word. You have his spirit. And you've been taught the Bible. So you got to cleanse yourself. You get rid of the things that don't belong and man, you replace it with the things that do. He tells them to sanctify themselves so that we can be useful. And then look at verse 14 of 1 Chronicles 15. And so the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And so it's simple. It's, it's beautiful. It, it ends up being bountiful. We're going to see when we're just biblical. So that's how you do it, huh? You just get the, the sons of Kohath and they carry it on their shoulders and they're able to transport the ark of God to where it belongs. I already gave you Numbers 4, verse 15. We also see the same command in Exodus 25, verse 14 and Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. You see, I, I like that phrase right there. Don't you guys like it? At the end of verse 15, according to the word of the Lord. And that's something you're going to find 33 times in the Bible. And so I'm telling you this, man. Know that Bible. You know, read it over and over and over again. Study it. And uh, I always tell people, you know, love it, learn it, and live it. Read it and heed it. Know it from Genesis to Revelation. I've told you guys a, a lot of times, and you know what I mean by this when I say that it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And we're saved by the blood, don't get me wrong, but man, you know what? This book right here will keep you from sin. But sin will keep you from the book. So get on your knees, make sure you're a praying people, and get in the book. And study God's word and let him speak to you. You know, I'll wake up in the morning, and even though I have all my gadgets, my computers, my iPhones and iPads, you know, I don't, I don't take them into my closet 
when I spend time with God, it's just me and the Bible. And I don't read men's words. First, I, I read God. I read God, I let God speak to me. And I read through the Bible. I don't play Bible bingo. Some people are like, oh, I'll read over here today and then over here. Read through the Bible. You know, read it. Just make sure you read it from cover to cover. Because I'm just the only reason I tell you that is because it'll protect you from all the false teaching, all the weirdness, all the madness that's out there, sometimes on the radio, sometimes on television, in the books. This right here is so important. According to the word of the Lord, they did things right. And so David then speaks to the leaders in order to appoint the musicians and doorkeepers and and trumpeteers. Look at verse 16. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers, accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals, by raising the voice with resounding joy. Don't you like that? Raising the voice with resounding joy. It's kind of like Angel was talking about, you know, shout it. We don't do that as much, huh? resounding joy. We do that when our basketball team wins or whatever, you know. Last night, the San Francisco Giants, they won the World Series, and people were going crazy. I was crying, but, <laughs> you know, they're going crazy. We should be going, like, crazy for the Lord. That's what they were doing. I love that. So the Levites appointed this guy Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and of their brethren, the sons of Merari, Ethan, the son of Cushaiah, and with them their brethren of the second rank, Zechariah, Ben, Jaaziel, Shemaremoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, Masaiah, Mattathiah, Eliphelah. Those are good names you can name your kids right here. Mikniah, Obed-Edom, Jael, the gatekeepers, the singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan were to sound the symbols of bronze. Zechariah, Aziel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Asiah, and Benaiah with strings according to Alamath, Mattathiah, Eliphelah, Meknaiah, Obed-Edom, Jael, and Azariah, Azariah to direct with harps, on the Shemineth, Chenaniah, leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of music because he was skillful. Berechiah and Elkanah were doorkeepers for the ark, and Shebaniah, Joshaphat, Nethanel, Amasiah, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eliezer, the priests, were to blow the trumpets before the ark of God, and Obed-Edom, and Jehaah, doorkeepers for the ark. And I mean, it, to me, it's a lot of names I know. Sometimes I skip over the names, but not, not now. I, it would be like the Lord just saying, you know, Billy and Ivy and Abel and, you know, Fernando. And I'm just going down saying all your names just throughout. God sees all of you, not just David. There's no way that David could do what he did or Paul or anybody without people understanding their part. So all these names right here, to me, it's just so cool. You know, and everybody has a responsibility, right? I love the way that worship is described here as resounding joy, raising the voice with resounding joy. Uh, Resounding, did you guys know that in the Hebrew it means reverb? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. 
You guys don't know what reverb is, huh? If Angel Sanchez was here, he would have laughed at that joke because he knows what reverb is. But anyways, <laughs> they had singers and stringed instruments and harps and bronze cymbals and this guy right here, Chenaniah, he was chosen to be in charge. Why? Because he was skillful there in verse 22. And you know, whatever ministry you're involved in, uh, you should cultivate that gift. Uh, there's a difference between a gift and a talent. A gift was given to you when you were born again. Normally, talents were given to you when you were born. Right? One's natural, one's supernatural, but they're both from God. Some of you guys are, are skillful, and you've taken your skills and you've given them to the Lord, right? And, but but what, you, what I want to encourage you to do is to cultivate those gifts. You know, Angel was telling me he loves to play. He keeps practicing. It's good for a musician to do that, you know, to keep cultivating those gifts, right? A skill is a God-given ability, which with instruction, training, and cultivation, be, cultivation becomes the ability to do something good when you're skillful. And that's what happened when this guy, Chenaiah, Chenaniah, the same word is used in Psalm 33, verse 3, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. And so whatever gift you have, whatever role or responsibility you've been given, let me ask you a question. Are you excelling? Are you excelling in that? I encourage you to do that. The Bible says, He who teaches as the oracles of God. Whatever it is you do, uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, the God-given task that you've been given, you do it with all your might. And the last thing in the world you want to do is give to the Lord your leftovers. He gave you that role. He gave you that responsibility. This guy right here, very, very skillful. And so, you know, you got doorkeepers, you got trumpeteers, you have people all part of this. I don't know if you can visualize this. Uh, look at verse 25. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands, they went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom, there's that word again, with joy. I mean, do you have joy? The Bible says, when we read it last Sunday, rejoice always. You know, I think sometimes some Christians think that if they're, they're sad and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're mad, that they're going to be effective. I have a feeling that you're probably going to be a lot more effective with joy. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It really is. I mean, they're bringing up the ark. It says right here, with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And I like the way it says that, that God helped them, right? God, all over this, right, that the covenant of the Lord, that they offered seven bulls and seven rams, and David with clothes with a robe of fine linen, as well as all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers and Chenaniah, the music master with the singers, and David also wore a linen ephod. And thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord uh, with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. And you know, David, uh, the elders of Israel, captains and 
We're talking thousands of people. That's a lot. It's a big crowd. They end up going down to the house of Obed-Edom with joy for the journey there to uh, Obed-Edom and then back to Jerusalem. It was like a parade. It was a, a, a worship walk. I mean, they're, they're praising the Lord. Think about that, how awesome that must have been, a procession of celebration. Why? Because the ark was symbolic of the special manifest presence of God. And you know, the thing I love about David is that he knew the reality. And before things could ever happen, you know, politically, in his monarchy, that things needed to be to take place spiritually. He knew that all the hope for Israel had to be rooted in the God of Israel. He knew that. And he knew that God was calling him to this task. And I believe he was, op- he was happy for the opportunity to make true, deep, heartfelt fellowship with God available to his nation. And what we find right here is that David was used by God and he had that vision. You know, God's grace, and again, like I said earlier, and that he would give him a second chance. And I wonder if there's anyone here today who maybe you've blown it somehow, some way, or you drifted away, or you, you know, something's happened, I don't know, and, and you feel like maybe the enemy's trying to come, come in. You know, I talk to people all the time, and, 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 I, and I see what's going on. I think it's a battle for their soul. I really believe that. It's a battle for their soul. I mean, it's not just, you know, me here, uh, you know, having Starbucks with my friend. It's just not, it's not just me, you know, on the phone, you know, hey, the phone sounds pretty good. It's a nice connection. It's, it's a battle for, for people's souls forever and ever and ever and ever. And the devil, um, the flesh and the world, they just try to condemn you or they try to bring you to that place where you know you you walk away you drift away and 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 so what we want to do is we want to be used by God I can't if you depend on me to be your mediator oh I got to meet with Manny you know you know how how small the work will be but then when we get a whole bunch of people meeting with a whole bunch of people and then we get a whole bunch of people who fall in love and have a direct intervening, intervening connection with God, then all of a sudden God begins to work in hearts. And I see that. And that's, that's my prayer, that it would be a reality. You know, do you as Christians have any reason to raise your voice with resounding joy? Would you say? Yeah? You're rooting for the giants, right? Yeah. You know, do you as Christians have any reason to say, thank you, Jesus. You are so awesome. Lord, I love you. I mean, even though the craziness is taking place, you're on the throne and you're going to work all those things for good. I mean, we have a reason for resounding joy, right? Um, and, and, and have you set your heart to really seek the Lord? I'm curious. Have you set your heart to really seek the Lord? Because the ark, the presence of God, 
It should be something that, that we draw near to. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to, to us. If we don't have that, then my encouragement to you today is to resolve to draw near to him from this day forward. And as you see him moving, then you worship the Lord like they did right here wholeheartedly. This is what David did, but it's not going to be easy. And I'm going to try to get through this real quick. Um, I've been telling people this quote because it's just kind of sticking in my head, but the doors of opportunity, they always swing on the hinges of opposition. You guys know that? The doors of opportunity, they swing on the hinges of opposition. And if you endeavor to worship the Lord wholeheartedly, if you endeavor to, to, to bring the presence of God to people or to point people to that, that presence of God, not a religion but a relationship, then you know what? You're going to experience some opposition. You're going to experience some discouragement. The people that you love, maybe even the most, or the people that are supposed to be your supporters are so close to you, they'll come against you. But don't let it stop you. Look what happens next in verse 29. And it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that, now Aaron says it's Michelle. I think it's Michal. So I'm just going to go with Aaron. <laughs> that Michelle, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music. And she did what? She despised him in her heart. Now you got to get, if you want to get the full picture, go over to Second Samuel. Capítulo 6. Chapter 6. How do you say that? Is that is that verse or chapter? Okay, Second Samuel, chapter six. <laughs> Look at verse fourteen, and we see more details here. Then David danced before who? The Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, uh, Michelle, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before who? Before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Right? She just didn't like that. Look at verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. And notice he's coming home to bless his household, Right? And there she is again. The daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, How glorious is the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And so David said to Michelle, It was before the Lord. There's that word again, before the Lord. Who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, and therefore, listen, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. And therefore, here's this craziness in verse 23, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. And I read this right here, and 
I'm wondering, why does she do that to David? You know, why does she see David and there he is, he's worshiping, he's, he's whirling around and he's just, he's doing it before the Lord. The Bible says three times before the Lord. He was doing it before the Lord. He was doing it before the Lord. But she misjudged him. She misjudged him. He's not really worshiping. David's not a king. He's nothing. And, and she despised him, which means thinking little of him. Look at how he's dressed. Look at how he dances. He's not doing it for God. He's doing it for the girls. He's, he looks like a fool. He shouldn't rule. She despised him. And boy, oh boy, or like man, oh man, man, she messed up and missed out big time. Right there in her face, opportunity. But she missed up. And, and you know, a lot of times what ends up happening is people do that. Uh, they're not just uh, quenchers. I mean, they're drenchers, man. I mean, it's bad, right? And uh, David's just singing, and he's soaring in the spirit. He's used by God in such a tremendous way. It's going to make a difference in the whole nation, uh, abundantly, triumphantly, to bless the people of God. And she, however, thought David was super bad, even base. Notice what she says right there, as one of the base fellows. You know, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that people can come up with some pretty perverted and downright bottom-of-the-barrel accusations. You want to know why? Because their mind's in the gutter. That's not what David was doing. Why did she say that about him? You know what? I think it kind of comes down to, to, to one word, jealousy. It was jealousy. She apparently suffered from jealousy. Uh, she was jealous when she thought of the girls that saw David worship so unreservedly, and there seems to be indication that she was also jealous of the position that God had given David instead of her father Saul and all of his descendants. And you guys know how ugly jealousy can be, just in closing, right? You guys know how ugly it is, right? Jealousy is so ugly that Proverbs 27.4, it says, Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? When jealousy is not right, it's not loving that person, it's loving yourself, right? Have you ever been there? It's been said that in jealousy there is more self-love than love. And William Penn said that the jealous are troublesome to others. But here's the thing. They're a torment to themselves. And that's what ended up happening. And, and my heart breaks for this gal, uh, Mikael, don't tell her when I said that. <laughs> you know, she was, uh, and we'll close with this. I want to be, I want to be like David. I, I want to, David was not a perfect man by any means. Do you guys know there are no perfect men? Have you kind of discovered that yet? Um, we got to try to be blameless. We got to do our best, commit the rest. But David was. A man after God's own heart. What a contrast now to Michal and the way this ends up. Let me just say this in closing. She was a quencher. 
She was a drencher, and she died a bencher, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no more kids. Oh, we need to be careful, you guys. I pray that the Lord will encourage you. I pray he will bless you. I pray that we would do things uh, according to his will. And, and, and we're living in some real exciting days. We're living in the last of the last days. I pray you would know how much God loves you and the work that he wants to do. You know, But let's just, let's just take a step back, examine our, our own life. Let's be humble and let's serve the Lord. Um, he's the only one that gets all the glory. He's the only one, man, that has the capacity to bless your life. You know, David fell in love with God. His name means beloved of the Lord. And I think that in just using him as an example, God wants us to learn that that's really what it, what it comes down to. It comes down to not the rules and regulations, although those those are part of it when they become biblical, but it becomes it comes down to a relationship. So make sure you're walking with the Lord, okay? Talking, hearing His voice, following Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your love and grace in our life. Thank You that You're the God of the second chance. Uh, thank You that You take our sins and You cast them as far as the east is from the west and You remember them no more. Lord, I pray... My prayer is that you would bless every single person here in an omnipotent way. I just thank you for your word, Lord. I pray um, that just the things that are from you, Lord, would just resonate in our heart because we're all in different places. Bless your people. And if there is anyone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that they would know what the gospel is, the good news. Because the bad news is we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Revelation chapter 20 says that anyone whose name is not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But the good news is that Jesus died for us. On that cross, he bore all our sins. And the good news is that if we simply put our faith in Christ, repent of our sins, and receive Jesus, then we will be saved. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so if there is anyone here today, I pray they would embrace the good news if they're not a Christian, if they've never done that. They're right here, right now, in their heart of hearts, that today would be the day of salvation. We love you, Lord, and thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 454 3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.